This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. So goes an old gospel song that some of you may have heard years ago. But it's a song which probably has fallen out of favor with many modern church musicians. Now, it may not be the best type of church music, I'll agree, but the words of this old gospel song contain a message that really ought to be recaptured. I fear, however, however, that this message is one that has also fallen out of favor with modern Christians, not only the tune, the words, but the real message of that song. There used to be a time when songs like In the Sweet By and By or I Am Bound for This Promised Land were songs that we not only sang regularly, but we also believed with all of our heart. Judging from contemporary standards, I now have serious doubts that many of us can truthfully sing or even say these words. It used to be said of the father of Dr. G. Camel Morgan that he believed with a Bible in his hand and his face toward a better world. Unless my observations of most of us are incorrect, it seems that the vast majority of people everywhere today are living not for the world to come, but for the world at hand. There was a man one time who lived like this just for this world. He was a fool, or or at least that's what God called him. If you want to read about this man, turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 12 and read verses 16 through 21. You'll see there the story of this man whom God called a fool. Let's talk about this fellow just a bit. First of all, this was a tragic story of a farmer. And it's doubly tragic because there were so many good things about his life. First, he was a worker. Second, he saved what he made. You remember Jesus, after feeding the 5,000, told them, gather up the fragments that remain. A third positive quality about this farmer was he was a successful farmer. He was rich to prove it. But God still called him a fool. Why? Well, in the 14th Psalm, the first verse, we read, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, if you had approached this farmer, and recorded in Luke 12, if you had asked him, do you believe there's a God? No doubt his reply would have been, why, certainly I believe there's a God. But those words would have come from his head and not from his heart. The scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. And there's a big difference between the two. This man felt no need for God, no dependence upon God. Here we have a picture of a man who had become so enamored with the things of this world that he forgot to concentrate his attention on another world. He became satisfied with this world. He loved the things of this world more than he loved the things of God. And the little letter written by John over toward the end of the New Testament, 1 John 
chapter 2, verse 15, Jesus is quoting as saying, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Surely it is high time, past time, that we heeded such counsel from our Lord. But I fear the time has come when we all have become so enamored with this life that things of eternal significance have faded into the distance. Many of you may remember a little chorus which we used to sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But we've some, become so accustomed to the luxuries of modern living that the things of heaven have grown strangely dim. Now, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. God's people certainly have received many comforts in our lives. All these comforts that we have from the Lord are not sinful in themselves. I disagree with the hermit philosophy of life, whereby one secludes himself for a life of prayer and meditation and fasting. Jesus said that we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, and there has to be contact with others before we can be that. No, we're not to scorn anything simply because it is a modern convenience or a luxury. I remember what Vance Havner used to say, living in a hole does not make one any holier. But on the other hand, we are plainly told in the Bible that we are not to put too much stock in the things of this world, not to lay up treasures here on earth. One of my favorite popular songs of several years ago was a song that was sung by B.J. Thomas entitled Home Where I Belong. They say that heaven's pretty and living here is too. But if they say that I would have to choose between the two, I'd go home, going home where I belong. Sometimes when I'm dreaming, it comes as no surprise that if you look and see that homesick feeling in my eyes, I'm going home. I'm going home where I belong. When I'm feeling lonely and when I'm feeling blue, it's such a joy to know that I am only passing through. I'm headed home. I'm going home where I belong. And one day I'll be sleeping when death knocks on my door and I'll awake to find that I'm not homesick anymore because I'll be home. I'll be home where I belong. As we read the pages of the New Testament, we get a flavor of the spirit that those early Christians had. They were not at home in this world. They were a despised sect, a small minority. They never seemed to forget that they were pilgrims who were passing through this world looking for a better world to come. Oh, those early Christians had to go undergo all sorts of shame and persecution for their beliefs. You know, maybe that's the trouble with us today. We're no longer embarrassed because of our beliefs because all too few of us just don't know what we believe or what we're supposed to believe, they say. We can, no longer, we can no longer consider Christianity a small sect of people. Instead, we've now grown to where we're no longer persecuted for our faith, although there are now many indications in America that these days are coming to an end. Indeed, some areas 
we're seeing ridicule and even outright hatred of Christians taking place. When we have ceased to be a small sect, a minority of people, and have become a small church, or rather a large church, or big denomination, this is when Satan and all his powers can attack us from within. One person spoke about this danger of becoming a church instead of a small minority sect. He described it this way. A sect is usually small and poor and rises up against the sins and evils of the day. Whereas a church moves out on Front Street, its membership made up of the so-called best people, and it conforms to a self-centered, complacent society. Take your Bible sometime and look at the examples of those who committed the folly of settling down and making this world their home. For example, Lot, you remember him from the Old Testament, went to Sodom, became a leader in the community. But those two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were doomed to destruction because of their wickedness. You may remember that in one of his books, Billy Graham compares the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah to that in America today. He says that our civilization as we have known it is now sunk. And Billy Graham goes on to say that if God does not judge America for her wickedness, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sadly, this is so true. As far as the civilization we have grown up with, and have known for most of our lives, this civilization is doomed. God has never promised to save those who turn away from him in open rebellion, as we see it on every hand today in our beloved America. Yes, in many ways, we are on a sinking ship. Now, please understand, I do not predict a great nuclear holocaust, which is shortly to come to planet Earth, although God certainly has the power to do that. But many devoted followers of Jesus Christ are wondering just how much longer God will hold back his hand of judgment from an increasingly wayward, sinful people. God has never promised to save any civilization that continues to deny him and his way. He has promised to save a remnant a small group out of a decaying world. But our society is such, he has never promised to let us continue to reject him and his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, so shall it be when the Son of Man cometh. Noah and Lot. These were two of the worst times morally back then. So let me ask you, is this any kind of foundation whereon you'd like to build your life and upon which to pin your hopes? I certainly would not. For this world is like the shifting sands upon which the foolish man built his house. There's a story from many long years ago which conveys a piercing truth for us even today. There was a merchant in Baghdad who sent his servant to market to buy provisions. In a little while, the servant came back, white, trembling with fear, and said, Master, just now when I was in the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd. When I turned, I saw that it was death that had jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Now, Master, said the servant, please lend me your horse 
and I will ride away from this city, and I will avoid my fate. I will go to Samara, and there death will not find me in Samara, another city. The merchant allowed his servant to borrow his horse, and the, mer and the servant mounted the horse, dug in his spurs and the horse's flanks, and went as fast as that horse could gallop, going to the safety of another city, Samara. Sometime later that day, the merchant himself went down to the marketplace, where he also saw death standing in the crowd. He approached death and asked, Why did you make a threatening gesture to my servant when you saw him this morning? Death replied, That was not a threatening gesture I made. I was only expressing surprise upon seeing him today in the marketplace. I was astonished to see him here in Baghdad for I had an appointment with him tonight in Samara. Another biblical example of one who made this world his home was Demas. Second Timothy chapter 4, you can read about Demas. Apostle Paul said that Demas forsook him, having loved this present world. We do not know exactly what form his defection took, but Paul made it clear that Demas fell in love with this world. He may have ended up with stocks and bonds, but when Paul ended his career, the only stocks he had were those on his feet. The only bonds were those on his wrists. But today, the name of Paul is our inspiration, and Demas is only a warning. I read somewhere of a wild duck on migration that came down into a barnyard where tame ducks were feeding. He liked the food so well he stayed there a day, a week, a month, and then the whole season. One day this duck heard a familiar quacking high overhead. He recognized the call of his companions as they flew back toward home. His eyes sparkled, his heart beat faster, and he rose to join them in flight. But he had eaten too well, and he could get no higher than the edge of the barn roof. Story goes that he then said to himself, Oh, well, what difference does it make? I like it here. And so he spent the rest of his life in the barnyard. The day came when his old companions passed over, and he never even heard their call again. This story reminds us in a tragic way of those who once mounted up with wings as eagles, but who are now content to live in the barnyard of this world. They have the spirit of the one whom God called a fool. Sometimes they may catch a few notes of the life they used to know, the song of saints on higher ground. When they do, their hearts may beat a little faster and their eyes may be filled with tears. But then too often, they forgot. And they forget now even. They sink back to the barnyard. Shortly before his death, Reverend Robert Burdett wrote a personal letter to the editor of a newspaper. Here's what he said in that letter. I watch the sunset as I look out over the rim of the blue Pacific. There's no mystery beyond that horizon line because I know what's over there. I have been there. I have journeyed in those lands. Over there, where the sun is just sinking, is Japan. Over here, that star is rising over China. Over in that other direction lie the Philippines. I know all that. Well, there's another land that I look toward as I watch the sunset. 
I've never seen that land. I've never seen anyone who's been there. But it has a more abiding reality than any of these lands I do know. This land of immortality, this fairer and blessed country of the soul. Why, this heaven of ours is the one thing in this world which I know with absolute, unshaken, unchangeable certainty. This I know with a knowledge that is never shattered by a passing cloud of doubt. I may not always be certain about this world. My geographical locations may sometimes become confused. But that other world? Oh, that I know. And as the afternoon sun sinks lower in my life, faith shines more clearly. And hope, lifting her voice in a higher key, sings the blessed songs of fruition. My work is about ended, I think. The best of it I have done poorly. Any of it I might have done better. But I have done it. And in a fairer land, with finer material, and a better working light, I will do better work in that land beyond the sunset. Can you really say this morning, my heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay? For faith has caught the joyful sound, a song of saints on higher ground. May that be true for each of us today as we lay up treasures in heaven and are rich toward God. Oh God, thank you for giving us that wonderful promise of a home with you in heaven. We look forward to that day when you're going to reward your servants with that heavenly abode. Help us to live in this life so that you will be proud of us, imperfect as we all are, yet we may find joy in serving you until you call us home to that land beyond the sunset. This we pray in the one who provides the way to that land, Jesus Christ. Amen.